Hello and welcome to Dragons Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind a tabletop. Today I'm joined by Greg. Hey, hey. And we are going to be talking about, well, the small things about a D&D or other RPG world that can really make it feel lived in. That there are other lives, other things going on rather than just what your party's doing. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be talking about everything from sort of the ambiance, the sounds, the music maybe that you're hearing, to the characters. Are they memorable? Are they recurring? What are the things that you can do to really make your players feel like a part of a living world? But first, as always, let's talk about what we have been playing lately. And or or what we are really, really, really excited about. Yeah, I want to talk about that first. Okay, we're, we're going to break the mold here. Because I want to talk about Spirit Island Jagged Earth. Yes. This is a new Kickstarter. If mm-hmm. you haven't checked it out yet, you should go check it out right now. Spirit Island, a new expansion called Jagged Earth. At time of recording, the campaign has been live for about 10 hours. Yeah. They are like 730% funded. They reached <laughs> their initial goal in 14 minutes. Yeah. And I'm super, super hype. This game looks amazing. It adds tons of new features it adds tons of new spirits i know jacob's excited because he finally gets a chance to pick up the promos yes the (laughs) first promos i finally get to play the serpent yes (laughs) so i mean it just it looks amazing like there's going to be like new adversaries new rules governing how you can use like i getting 11 new spirits like already just from the game because of the promo packs and like the eight base spears that are coming with the expansion and then you're also getting the aspect cards, which modify the more dull, boring-ish spirits that don't have as much to do. The the beginner spirits, pretty much. Basically. That, that make them more interesting for people who have already played Spirit Island to play. Yeah. There's just, there's so much, like, thought that has mm-hmm. clearly gone into this. You know, they've been wanting to do this. And you can tell, you know, they've known about this. If you look at the six-player map sort of that was a a promo released with the original kickstarter you can see that some of these symbols that designate the new rules already appear on this map like this is something that they've known that they wanted to do for a long time and it shows yeah just the the sheer volume of new features and rules and flexibility that it adds i cannot wait to get my hands on it yeah me neither and like it's it's got such cool things and I, I just want to play it now. It's it's one of those where it's just like, yeah, yeah. Can, can I have those new spirits right now? Uh, right, right now. Yeah, yeah what do you, I'll, hey, take get, a, get, get, I'll take get, a bootleg. Yeah. Just like a, a print and play copy is fine. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's play. Uh, so I, I'm really, really excited for, for it. It's going to add so much to the game. The five and six player expansion is going to be fun because uh, you now get to make your map look like a crab or like two little <laughs> islands and other things like that. And, yeah. Uh, just the placement of it. it it's just going to be really, really interesting how all of it works. Yeah. Totally, totally looking forward to that. And I'm going to back it as soon as I get home. Yes. So. Uh, but that's not what we've been playing because we don't actually have inside access to Greater Than Games. As much, much as we wish we would. Yeah, as we, if anyone's listening from Greater Than Games, we'll, I mean, I don't want to say pay through the nose because I don't have a lot of money, but we'll, we'll, we'll say nice things about you forever. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so besides that, though, we have been playing uh, some games. We just finished up a game of tiny epic zombies yeah so tiny epic zombies is the latest of the tiny epic franchise Mm -hmm. and i was 
to be honest, a little bit wary of it. I had, you know, I, I backed most of the Tiny Epic games since I got Tiny Epic Galaxies. Because Tiny Epic Galaxies was such a game that blew me away. Uh, and is still probably in my top 20 to top 30 games sure. of all time. It's a fun game. And then after I played that game, most of the other Tiny Epic games just started to pale in comparison. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about... I know Tiny Epic Quest was really the one that sort of soured us yeah. on the whole experience. Like, I mm-hmm. I don't... I did not like Tiny Epic Quest, full stop. Yeah. Um, Tiny Epic Western was not my preferred play style, but, you know, it was, it was okay. Mm-hmm. But I think Tiny Epic Zombies is good because it sort of gets back to more what I would consider something that I would like to play. I would like yeah. to recommend it, you know, get it to table, that sort of thing. It's interesting because, like, so first of all, we played the fully co-op version. Yes. And this is one of the things that is really cool about the game. You have five different game modes. You can play fully co-op. You can play one versus many, where the many are cooperative. Uh, you can play one versus many, where the many are competitive. You can play a free-for-all, or you can play a solo. Yeah. And so... All these different game modes in one game like it's almost as if you have like five different really slightly different games in one and there there's just a lot of interesting aspects of the game i think like almost every card is double-sided in some way shape or form yeah they definitely sticks with this sort of trend of using these you know tiny epic are are famous for their multi-use components so you know you've got yeah. on one side of a card is the player that mm-hmm. you know you could have this power on the other side of the card is this is a particular type of zombie that you might be facing yeah. your sort of adversary for that game the cards that represent your items and your power-ups and things double as the spawn locations for the zombies mm-hmm. so you know you've got this real efficiency of components in a way that i think works mm-hmm. very well in ways that maybe some of the other tiny epic games have fallen a little short yeah the one thing that i will say about the components is that they use some kind of like stickers on the pieces instead of painting them yeah and it shows i mean like there are a lot of wooden pieces and all that and i can sort of understand it but at the same time it really is not done the best it's like things are miscut misglued misdone like you know I'm I'm not expecting them to actually last long on the actual components in in a box like if a few shakes and they're probably going to come off. Yeah. And I mean that's the thing, right? Is that you they could have totally done that with like basically decals on the mm-hmm. surface of the wooden components and I wouldn't have known except for the fact that they're cut really poorly in a lot of instances yeah. and they're sort of flaking off and they've got danglers and things. So, it's just a shame mm-hmm. uh to see, you know, cuz they've they've always been so sort of progressive in experimenting with new components you know item meeples are super creative and yeah. the the differently shaped zombie tokens and the differently shaped like they've got like cars and vehicles mm-hmm. that you can ride around in and it's it's super creative it's just executed not terribly well exactly but the gameplay itself has been a lot of fun so i'm looking forward to bringing that to the table again and trying out all the different game modes and seeing how they work yeah, absolutely. I think we'll definitely have to play it multiple, multiple times on each game mode uh, before we sort of do a proper review of it, just because there's so mm-hmm. much there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that's not all we've been playing. Last week, we played Terraforming Mars, mm-hmm. which was cool. We played it on stream, which is not something we've always had success with. You know? Yeah, yeah. Terraforming Mars can be a little bit of a 
dull game if we don't actually talk to the camera <laughs> right yeah it's a very thinky game you know you put yeah. your head down and you're like all right what's my next play what's my next play and if you forget that there's people watching you yep it can get really boring for those people so i think you know combination of we ourselves have had a lot more mm-hmm. experience on stream since the last time we played and the people we were playing with you know will and anna are always super like down to just be goofy yeah. which you know in some cases might distract from gameplay but in a game like terraforming mars nah it's you, you need it's, it yeah you need it otherwise it's gonna get too yeah. dry you, you have the goofiness of those too the salt that i had and <laughs> yeah. uh like all in all it's an entertaining experience yeah did you end up eating a uh, mr salty i did not uh, but that's probably only because of the fact that i didn't want to eat a mr salty yeah they're, they're pretty gross i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah um but yeah no you you kind of got you got a little hosed well what was it? you were looking for a science tag. I needed one more science tag. And, and if it, you had uh, found yeah. one, you would have had a run of like three different cards yes. that would have just exploded and been so good for you. On my first turn, the one that I uh, drew a card on, I drew the the AI research library, the one that lets you as an action draw two cards. Oh, right. That was the card that I drew from my first ever placement on my first turn. Yeah, okay. That seems pretty good. Within another turn or two, I, I had the other two science cards. And I was just trying to get, like, one more science tag. <laughs> and just and nothing. I never got another science nothing tag. Nothing happening. And, like, it was it was a bit, um, it was a bit much. It, it was really frustrating in that, like, I just could not get that. But, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes that's how it works. And this was even while we were playing my favorite, which is the drafting rules. And not the, just the you draw and get what you get and get screwed. Right. And then the other, actually, the other sort of rule set that we were playing with uh, this time that mm-hmm. we hadn't in the past was uh, prelude cards. Yeah. They're super interesting. They're super fun. It's just a way to sort of jumpstart your game. You know, mm-hmm. you get these, in some cases, really massive boosts at the oh, beginning, yeah. you know, just straight up like three terraform rating or, you know, place an ocean, raise the temperature and generate one uh you know steel production or something that's Mm going to really majorly impact your gameplay and it it just speeds everything up yeah i was hellion and so you know heat is what i want and Mm -hmm. two of my um uh, two of my prelude cards actually gave me heat yeah i think by the by the start of your first turn you already had like seven heat production something like that and we were playing on corporate era so you started with none and it was like okay well he's going to increase the temperature all the time always Mm -hmm. but then you didn't that's because I was just trying money to buy instead. stuff and yeah. get, use it as as money. Yeah. But, you know, didn't end up helping me as much as I was hoping. Yeah, so it goes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, it seemed like you guys really enjoyed the prelude cards. Yeah. I had played with them once before. I think they're a great addition to the game. I think more, more than any other expansion, probably. If you're going to buy one expansion, I would say the prelude cards because they, I think, fix some of the problems with the base game in terms of the the pacing but i think that venus next added more yeah i think venus next um, definitely added more but in terms of it was mostly just more Mm -hmm. you know there's the venus track which is pretty like that's certainly the most radical thing that it did Mm -hmm. but most 80 90 percent of the substance of that expansion was just new cards yeah that did new things but functionally they're the same whereas with prelude cards you know sort of the entire function of prelude cards is something new uh, and i think that it makes a big impact on the game 
Oh, for sure. Especially in those early turns where you're just trying to get through them so that mm-hmm. you can actually do the high-powered plays that everybody dreams about. Yeah, and it. I think that that's the biggest thing about prelude cards is that they jumpstart the game. Yeah. They like make the first few turns actually interesting. Yep. But, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, you can also check out that video online now if you haven't seen it already. Mm-hmm. But that is a look at what we've been playing or, in some cases, thinking about. Yep, lately. exactly. A good RPG is like a fine wine. The longer you play it... No, that metaphor's gone. But it is something that you can expect to be playing for a very long time if it goes well. You know, if your players are invested, if you are invested. And one of the things that I think really makes players invested into a game are the little things. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to go on major quests. They're going to save the princess. They're going to you know, lead to the fall of the evil empire, what have you. But it's who they meet along the way and some of the world building, the little minor things that make a world memorable and fun to inhabit. Yeah, exactly. It, it makes a world feel like there's actually other things happening than your campaign. Exactly. And I think one of the biggest things, uh, and the first one we're going to start out with, is, well your characters are going to be interacting with some really interesting NPCs. And the NPCs are the lifeblood of your world. Mm-hmm. Like As much as you can go in and describe all the different cool uh, vistas and other things like that that you can think of, your players are going to most likely remember the NPCs the most. Exactly. And usually the NPC that you don't intend to be remembered the most it's going to be that like one little goblin dude that you uh you put as a throwaway and and he has now been tacked onto the party for the last three months yeah that'll but, happen. but one of the things that you really have to like work on and i think that one of the things that really gives the world depth is creating these kinds of memorable npcs exactly and you know it doesn't have to be something that you reach really far for what makes an npc memorable can be as few as one or two things. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe this particular NPC has an eye patch. You know, it doesn't have to be a pirate. It could just be some normie. Yeah. They've got an eye patch, though. You roleplay them covering one eye. Maybe you put on an accent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a particularly entertaining or well-done accent. Just one or two things that are really going to make the character pop. Yeah. They're going to make it not just another generic mm-hmm. nobody. And... You know, character players really respond to that. It's something that Mm -hmm. kind of sticks in their mind, which is especially good if the character has plot information. But it's not necessary for them to have plot information. It could just be, you know, the shopkeep or the Mm -hmm. tavern keeper or what have you. Exactly. That's, I think, one of the the coolest things that you can do is you can just have, like, these interesting characters and these interesting NPCs that really aren't your main quest giver, that aren't the main villain. Like those you usually put a lot of thought and effort into, but yeah, what about your tavern keeper? Let's if you if you have a town that's the base of operations for your party, make some someone really cool there. Make a really fun shopkeeper that they like to either mess with or hang out with. Right. Like, this is you know this making memorable characters really intersects with another thing, which is making recurring characters. Mm-hmm. And again, these can be sort of big, powerful allies who are going to join them on their quests or kings or mages or whoever that give them quests but it could also just be the person who ferries them up the river or down the river you know if Mm -hmm. that's a mode of transportation make that character memorable make that character a recurring character 
something that's going to bring a little joy to these moments of downtime. Mm -hmm. Because there's definitely up and down moments in a campaign. There's moments where you're you're in combat and you're hype. And then there's moments where you're just kind of tooling around town. Mm -hmm. And if you can fill those moments with entertainment. Yeah. Don't, I mean, you know, you don't have to crack jokes and you Mm -hmm. don't have to reach for it. But, you know, just make it something that the PCs enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. It goes a long way. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that you can do a lot with this is have those NPCs interact with each other. Like, you might have them bed up at an inn at some point and hey there was the uh the blacksmith that they were talking to this morning mm-hmm. like and he's talking to the bartender yeah or exactly. he's like you know doing something he's rolling some dice and like it's someone that they recognize and it's not like a uh mmo or something like that where like this person is always standing in front of their <laughs> shop and There's, they will be always available they've got a this. yellow exclamation mark ahead of yeah. them making it apparent that characters and really the world has a life outside of the player's actions Mm -hmm. you know you want the player's actions to feel impactful of course because they want to feel like they're doing something and they want to have an impact on this world but also you know farmers still got to take their goods to market Mm -hmm. the town guard are still going to have to you know round up the the drunken disorderlies what have you you know life is going to go on whether the pcs are present or not so having those characters show up in contexts independent of the quest that they gave or the service that they provide just sort of reminds the players that oh yeah this is a world yeah exactly and i think that leads into another point which is the things that you have that these characters either run or are part of it's uh, the institutions that you have all over the mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. and this is not just you know it, it is partially like you know the mages guild and that kind of stuff that has its locations in all the major cities and something like that but also it could be a you know enterprising young gnome who has created a chain of uh franchises that sell food yeah yeah, this, I mean, I'll be completely honest because I got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, one of my friends is starting up his own D&D campaign and he shared with me some of the maps. Mm-hmm. And these are, some of them are, you know, city street level maps of a particular town block, but also some of them are outposts a couple hundred miles away. And one thing that I noticed on a lot of these maps was a, a building called Trader Plargs, mm-hmm. which he and I are both big fans of the Trader Joe's grocery chain. And I commented on it, and he was just like, yeah, you know, I thought it would be good to give the players sort of an anchor, and I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Give them something that's a franchise. You know, what are the the Trader Joe's or the McDonald's yeah. of this world that they're inhabiting? Because those things probably exist, mm-hmm. you know, and people are going to be enterprising. People are going to look to fill economic niches, or, you know, even if it's not a franchise necessarily— People are going to perform the same types of activities. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be an organization of hunters or an organization of metalsmiths in any little town that you go to. And you can play with that. You know, you can take this through line of an organization of like-minded individuals and have it be varied based on where they are. You know, a big city... Let's call it a blacksmith guild. A big city blacksmith guild is going to look very different than a small town blacksmith guild. Yeah. And you can play with that to sort of reinforce this idea that, 
yeah, these people are doing the same thing, but they've got a lot of different, they've got their own stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And this can also really tie into the, the characters because you can have like, you know, the journeyman, which I think is one of the aspects that you don't see as often mm -hmm. in terms of RPGs. The, the concept of a journeyman is pretty much that, well, they go on a trip and like are going through and like meeting all these different people of their craft throughout like the realm and learning from them mm -hmm. as they go and it's all part of the guild but yeah you could have like you know a blacksmith shop that has a newly arrived journeyman who like you go over there and it's like hey how do i find like this part of the city is like uh i don't know like i haven't been here i've been here for like three weeks i'm actually from this other like far away town and that can really spark something too because it's just like oh, well, I'm going there now, or like our party wants to go there, or, or we just came from there and we have news and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that can really, I think, flesh out the world itself and not just have it as these individual enclaves of uh, society that do does, don't have any communication other than like the random one trader that you have from a different era. Right, exactly. And I think a sort of, you take these ideas, you take this idea that people are going to be recurring characters. Institutions are going to be the same or, or consistent sort of the world over. And you zoom out a little bit more and you get to our next point, which is the ambiance, what I kind yeah. of call the chatter. Mm -hmm. You know, whether this is something like a town crier mm -hmm. who's talking about, you know, maybe it could be a plot hook. It could be, oh, such and such has disappeared. It could be something that the PCs want to investigate. But it could just as easily be news of the day. You know, farmer so-and-so is selling their cows or you know uh if you're feeling really creative and and feeling like going above and beyond do like a, a newspaper mm -hmm. you know print out one or two pages of of local news anything as simple as classifieds or you know advertisements or what what have you just to kind of make this world feel inhabited yeah and I mean, another thing for the enterprising GM to do is, you know, think of some of the music that's going to be going on around. And it's, this is one of the things that I've always wanted to do, and I still have yet to implement it, but have uh, some like music that actually gives the plot hooks in the music playing. Mm -hmm. Something like that, you know, like uh, some kind of you can get some bardic music on YouTube, on online, and just play that in the background. You know, it might talk about, well, there's this like, cemetery with the spirit and this and this happening and then your pcs can like be like go up to the bard afterwards and ask like you know hey so um first of all what happened to your voice and second of all <laughs> i mean if you're the one gming yes exactly uh and second of all what what are you talking about with like the spirit that's in this graveyard over there uh and it's like oh yeah it's an ancient tale about like this and this graveyard that's deep in the woods and I heard that it's actually true or something like that. And you can actually, like, you know, have that become a plot hook. Right. Well, and another idea sort of in this vein that you had mentioned earlier off stream mm -hmm. that I absolutely love and I would I would love mm -hmm. to see you sort of implement this is having bards, specific named yeah. bards who are known for multiple songs. Yeah. yeah you know, because yeah. this idea that obviously someone's got to compose this music. Mm -hmm. Why not have it be this one sort of recurring bard? And I think it's just, it's a little thing, but it's super fun. Yeah. You know, you go to a town and they've, they're, everybody's playing. It's like, it's like the fantasy version of Top 40 Radio. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like Nelly Bartado or something. I don't know. That's a bad <laughs> joke. We can fix that in post, right? Maybe. All right. <laughs>
Oh, yeah, he says reassuringly. <laughs> but yeah, it's all these kinds of things and and also like just the gossip that they that, that you can have your your players hear. That can also be a really fun way of like making the world feel lived in. Mm-hmm. It's along with like the whole time crier thing, but also, you know, you've got tavern gossip going on. Mm-hmm. What kinds of things do you hear at bars? What kinds of things do you hear uh, in these kinds of places? Yeah, I'm asking because I actually don't know. I don't go to these kinds of things. <laughs> but, but for someone who does, yeah. you can use that as inspiration and sort of just work it into the, the, the pitter-patter, you know, mm-hmm. just the background noise of your campaign. Oh, so-and-so is now, like, you know, trying to propose in court to this person or something like that. And who knows? Because players can really latch on to these kinds of things. Right, exactly. They might really like this person or be like, I want to either help them propose or want to make sure the proposal never goes through. And you could have an entire story arc just right. about that. Yeah, do do be aware with this that you might be creating more work for yourself. But it's I think it's something that's worth it. The other thing that you can do with these sorts of rumors is reinforce the idea that, yeah, the you know life goes on and, and the adventurers aren't necessarily the end-all, be-all of this world, but they're also not the only ones who are yeah. powerful. And in fact, they may not even be the most powerful, particularly mm-hmm. at certain points in their campaign. That's almost certainly going to be true. So you can have rumors swirling around or news uh, that's that's announced about a different adventuring party. Yeah. Or a, a horde of monsters or a single rampaging monster that the PCs couldn't actually hope to defeat. And just kind of this notion that things are bigger than they are sometimes. Yeah. And giving them a sense of aspiration. Yeah. Giving them something to work towards in the long term rather than just like, oh, it's another bar fight. Punch, punch, we're done. Oh, mm-hmm. it's another horde of goblins. Punch, punch, we're done. You know, that sort of one done onto the next one can get tired after a while. Yeah. And I think that this especially can be can be interesting because it it reflects like real life. Like when you've got even in if you look at the age of like colonialism and like the piracy in that days in those days, you have these pirates that are like well known throughout like Caribbean, throughout like mainland Europe and other things like that. That like everyone wants to aspire to be and you've got like these legendary names and it's like everyone speaks of them with reverence or with like dread right and like you you add that type of thing to your story add that to your campaign and it'll add so much realism and your pcs will either probably ignore it or be like (laughs) i want to get to that be to that point of that person and then beat them up because that's how pcs usually are it's true (laughs) but you know they might not necessarily be the enemy, but that could just give them like a goal. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, you know, these are some things that you can do to just sort of take your game and flesh it out a little more. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a good chance that you're going to have put a lot of effort into crafting this world in broad strokes. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the history. You're going to have the geography. You're going to have the diplomacy and the politics. But what are the little things that you can do? To kind of get your players invested in it so that they want to explore this sandbox that you've created for them. Because as a GM, nothing feels worse than having players who aren't interested in what you've created. Exactly. And so hopefully these things can help you get them interested. Exactly. Like make a world that is even more interesting than just like the the plot hooks or the story that you have in mind. Because that's all cool. And like if you have a really good story, that's great. But adding these little details will help make the world feel 
that extra step like more realistic, that extra step more interesting than it already would be. That being said, these are only some of the ideas that, that we've had. Like these are just some of the things that we've thought of that we want to use or have used in the past in our own campaigns, but there's so much more. And we would love to hear from you guys what you think. Like, let us know what are your favorite techniques for making a world seem lived in. Do you have a specific thing that you always go to that like, you have this character that will always follow them around or like be in all these different cities and like Beetle from the Legend of Zelda series? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> or do you have like, you know, some other like small quirks and things and symbols that they might see like in this kingdom that represent something else. Like what is it that you do as a GM or what is it that you look for as a player that will make a world feel more immersive, more interesting and more like an actual world and less something that uh, just a, a plot line that you're following. Absolutely. Let us know. Uh, you can comment on Facebook. You can always shoot us a tweet or a message. We'd love to hear from you about what your ideas are for making a compelling, fleshed-out world. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. Don't forget to check out our new board game bistro for the really fantastic, really unique game Illimat, which is out now. You can check it out over on our YouTube channel. Uh, and also, as always, don't forget to tune in for our streams. We try to stream every Wednesday and every Friday. Sometimes we fail, but more often than not, we'll be there. Also, if you're listening to us on Google Play Music, on iTunes, wherever it is that you listen to Dragon's Demise, give us a review. You know, we'd love to have some feedback from you, and you really are the reason that we do what we do. So let us know what you think. We'll be sure to incorporate your feedback. And join us next week for a return of one of our favorite formats, Meeple versus Meeple. <laughs>